Welcome to the Melinda Eitzen Show. I'm Melinda. Today we're going to talk about jury trials, jury trials and family law cases. So, for example, a divorce with a jury. And who better to have talking with us but somebody who has experienced a jury from two different perspectives, as a lawyer making an argument in front of a jury and as a judge presiding over a jury trial. So today, my partner, Marilee Lewis, is our guest. Welcome, Marilee. Thank you, Melinda. I'm delighted to be here. We're so glad that you're here. So tell us, are jury trials common in family law? Well, actually not. There are 11 states that allow juries in family law cases. Only 11? Only 11. And those are only if the question is whether there should be a divorce. Texas is the only state that allows a jury to determine custody of children. Wow, I did not know that. So our right to trial by jury is stronger in Texas than any place. It is. And our right to trial by jury, even though guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution, can be limited by the particular statutes of the state in which the case is being tried. That's why of the nine Case in the nine states in the United States that have community property laws, we only have 11 states that allow for a jury in a divorce. That's interesting. And then they still don't get to do everything that a judge would get to do, right? No, no. And that's a big issue in Texas. People think, oh, I get a right to trial by jury. That's great. I'll just (laughs) submit everything to the jury. Not so fast. There are certain things a jury can decide and certain things that the jury cannot decide. For example, the jury can decide which parent has the right to establish the primary residence of the child or the children. A jury can decide whether there needs to be a geographic restriction. By that, the question is, should the child or children live in a specific area? Since the family code, and I brought my family code in case anybody would like to take a look at it. Um, <laughs> it's an important thing to have a lawyer who is, knows yes. the family if code. If you're going to have a family law case, please use somebody that has one of these books. But <laughs> the issue becomes, should each parent have equal access to the children? And equal access doesn't necessarily mean 50-50 possession, but it means having the opportunity to develop a real relationship with the children. So if you let one parent move to El Paso and the other parent lives in Galveston, you're going to have some issues in maintaining a relationship. So the courts can impose what we call a geographic restriction. That is a restriction to the county, to a school district, to whatever, is believed to be in the best interest of the children. And the jury can decide, one, who gets to decide, who chooses the primary residence of the child, and two, if there needs to be a geographic restriction. So would you agree with me? Most judges would impose a geographic restriction to this county and surrounding counties. That's what we typically see from a judge, true? Absolutely. And some courts are going to limit it even more. I've had courts limit it to a certain boundary, you know, uh, 75 to one to 35 to whatever, whatever. And so it can be very, very narrowly drawn. But even though the jury can decide who chooses the primary residence, the jury doesn't get to decide what the parenting schedule, for those who are familiar with the lay term possession, what the parenting schedule is for parenting time between a child and the parents. 
So one reason somebody might want a jury is if they have a move case. And what I mean by a move case is your example, uh, the El Paso example, or Colorado, they want to move all their families in Colorado. They want to move back to Colorado with the kids and leave poor mom or dad here without mm -hmm. the kids. And that's where that geographic restriction, most of the time, a judge would say, you can move to Colorado, but you can't take your kids with you. But a jury could allow you to, right? The jury can make a determination about the geographic restriction. I will tell you, that's a really high burden. Jurors are amazingly sensitive to parenting. I have seen juries make a decision where the parent just simply didn't have the right or wasn't given the right to relocate. Even though one parent wasn't terribly involved, the relationship between parent and child is so sacrosanct, well, hello, so special <laughs> that the juries want to see that being maintained. So do most people try to get out of jury duty? Do the jurors really take it seriously? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, there's a difference. The people who are actually selected for the jury do take it very seriously. Lots of people try to get out of jury duty. So if you get those people kind of weeded out early on, then the folks that are remaining on the jury do take it very seriously. I've always been impressed with the collective wisdom, the term for 12 people who come together to make one decision, the collective wisdom of the jury, because I've seen juries really get it right, but I've also seen occasionally the juries not do as well, but the majority of the time the juries have, have really done a remarkable job of paying attention, listening, and rendering a good verdict. We did some mock jury work once. So it was a big case, you know, big money. We wanted to practice. So mm -hmm. before the jury trial, we did mock trial. I didn't even know there was such a thing. So we had real people, fake jurors, and we had three panels and we put on a little fake trial without the other side. So we had to play both sides. And what was interesting is in one of the three rooms, we got to watch them deliberate. And in one of the three rooms, one juror misunderstood something and took everybody else down this rabbit trail. And it really helped us to say, well, that message needs to be cleaned up a little. <laughs> it is entertaining when you're in that position and you know what you're trying to do. We did the same thing in a trial just recently. And watching the jurors in one room deliberate and compared with the jurors in the other room, the jurors in one room, hands down, came back with one decision, whereas the jurors in the other room, completely different decision. The interesting thing about that is it gave us great insight into who the jury pool should be. Right, right. So that's interesting. Okay, so if I'm a either a litigant, right? So I'm going through this divorce or I'm a lawyer representing a litigant. When might I really want to consider a jury? Juries, as I said, are wonderful. You can consider a jury if the issue of whether or not you should get a divorce is before the court. Meaning in Texas, we have a term for common law called non-ceremonial marriage. There seems to be some huge misunderstanding about what constitutes a common law or non-ceremonial marriage in Texas. I think people watched I Love Lucy too, too long. <laughs> um, 
it's the intent to be married, the holding out is married, and living together in Texas. So the intent to be married is a real interesting question. It requires that you both intend to be married at the same time. One person can't <laughs> make you common law married right. by themselves. It Correct. has to be mutual. Correct. But the jury can decide whether or not you had a non-ceremonial marriage. The jury can also divide, decide whether there's fault in the, in the marriage. Uh, Texas doesn't require fault to get a divorce. So if that's a question you want the jury to decide, you have the right to a jury. You have the right, and as I said, Texas is the only state that allows for a custody decision. Mm -hmm. When do you want to have a jury decide custody? If you've got a really bad parent on the other side or you've got bad facts, generally the court's going to get that. You know, if you've got family violence or you've got serious drug or alcohol mm -hmm. issues, those are pretty easy for the court to hear. Mm -hmm. It's when there's such a close margin between the parents that the jury might be the ones to decide the finer points. Then if you have a question of characterization, that is if you have a question of your property and husband thinks it's worth $500,000 and wife thinks it's worth $5 million, you might want a jury to decide the value. If you have a situation which you've got torts, <clears throat> excuse me, breach of fiduciary duty, uh, physical injury or assault, things of that sort, you might want to have a jury decide damages in your divorce. But the thing to keep in mind in a family court divorce is it's not Exxon versus Texaco. You're using one pot of money, and that is the community estate. And jury trials are expensive. I, I tell clients a jury trial is going to cost you three times what a regular trial before the judge will. Yeah, much more expensive than just trying it to the court. The preparation is different, right? Absolutely. Because there's so much else to do, you have to do a motion in limine, meaning what comes in to evidence and what doesn't come into evidence. You want certain stuff to stay out, certain stuff to come in. There's a lot of rules about all that, There's right? There's a lot of rules about that. <laughs> in so, the book you showed us yeah, in and in book, other books. And in other books, that's right. And then you have to do a jury charge and you argue what questions go to the jury. What does the jury actually get to make a decision about? So you have to do a jury mm -hmm. charge. You've usually got to exchange exhibits and do things much more uh, timely than you would if you're just a, a trial before the judge. So there's all sorts of time constraints in a jury trial that you're not going to have in a trial before the bench. Also, you're going to be talking in family law language. So you've got to educate your jury. We don't use custody in Texas. We use conservatorship. We don't use possession. We use parenting time. So we have a parenting plan. So there's all sorts of terms that you want to make sure your jury understands in order to get your point across, which naturally the judges all know. And so when you're talking in terms of what are we doing for the parenting plan, you have to make sure the jury understands that that's a big issue, the parenting plan. The reason you would be reluctant or could be reluctant to spend all of that money on a jury trial 
in cases where you're trying to decide conservatorship is even though the jury can decide whether there's joint managing conservatorship or sole managing conservatorship, who has the right to des designate the primary residence, all of the other rights, powers, and duties and the parenting time schedule is the exclusive right and determination of the judge. So the jury can make one decision, but then everything else goes to the judge anyway. Yeah, the judge can undo a little of that. <laughs> Absolutely, and I, I have seen that happen where the jury comes back and says, oh, this parent should be the sole managing conservator, and the judge says, great, okay, now you've got the title, here's what we're gonna do about dividing up the children's <laughs> time with each parent. Yeah, and then that's a good topic for appeal, right? <laughs> it is. I mean, then you've got all sorts of challenges. Oh, it's interesting. Well, sometimes people want a jury because they think the judge is against them. Maybe they've had some <laughs> hearings already and the judge has maybe lectured them and said, ah, stop behaving that way. So is a jury selection sometimes because they're afraid of what the judge will do? They already think the judge hates them. They don't think they can get rid of the judge. There's an avenue to try to get rid of a judge, but it's difficult. And that's a good point. That can be a motivating factor for a jury trial because there may have been temporary orders, hearings, or temporary hearings where the judge kind of rains down on one side or the other. And so the decision is made, let's take it to a jury because they're going to like me better. They're going to get my point or you know, whatever. That's when you get into an issue of considering who's going to be on your jury panel. Right. Is that person going to like you any better than the judge did? Right. When you, when you read in you know, the Constitution, you're entitled to a jury of your peers. Who are your peers? Well, your peers don't mean somebody that has necessarily your level of education, your income, your background, your experience, because you're not going to find 12 people who meet that criterion. Instead, the, your peers are people who are qualified to serve on a panel in the state of Texas. That's it. It's not a big <laughs> qualification, is it? It's not. <laughs> So you're really not going to necessarily have a jury of your peers. And you don't get to choose people who have had the same or similar experiences because ordinarily in that case, the opposing party is going to strike them. Right, right, right. So if their storyline is too close to yours, right. there right. is a selection process where we get to strike a certain number Correct. for any reason, right? Yes. You've got challenges that can either be for cause, meaning the juror can't serve for whatever reason, um, obvious bias, illness, inability to understand the concepts. And then you've got what we call preemptory challenges, which means that you get to just, I don't like this person, make that strike. <laughs> and so you end up frequently, even though you may have started out with a panel of 42 or 54 or however many that come in, you may have already excluded 20 of them before you get down to making your jury selections. It's who's left over is who you get. That's right. <laughs> so it's really not selection. It's <laughs> yeah. It's attrition. That's right. Yes, it's attrition. <laughs> and sometimes it's the people who say the least. You don't really know what they think. They haven't been forthcoming either in a juror questionnaire or during Fort Dyer. Right. And so they can be dangerous because we, right. <laughs> we don't know got, what they really you know, think. Jurors 40 through 60 
you really haven't focused on them because you're focusing on 1 through 20. Mm -hmm. And so the people on the back row who kind of think they're not going to be chosen anyway don't see any real reason to participate unless they're trying to get off the panel, in which right. case they've got a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> they're extreme in their decisions yes, yes. at that point. So you talked about one of the things a jury can decide is certain property issues. So in a divorce, they have to, the judge or the jury or somebody has to determine what are the assets and debts mm -hmm. and are some of them separate, which means they only can go to one person or are they community, meaning they're going to be divided between the two parties? That's important. And that can be a big fight, separate versus community. Is that a jury question? The jury can determine what we call characterization. Mm -hmm. In Texas, we have separate property, which is everything you own prior to marriage. Anything you bring into the marriage with you is considered your separate property. It's presumed that anything that you acquire after marriage belongs to the community. It's part of your community estate. Unless it's a gift, you've inherited it, or you've been in an accident and you've had personal injury as a result of that accident and you've recovered damages for your pain and suffering. Those things can be considered separate property even if acquired during marriage. But if you're trying to prove that you have separate property then the burden is on the person trying to prove the separate property. And it's a higher burden. It's a clear and convincing, meaning you've got to show, I had this, this account prior to marriage. I haven't done anything with it. I haven't commingled it. I haven't done anything. All the money in it now is because it just sat there and earned interest. It's your burden. There is no presumption of separate property after the date of marriage. The jury can actually make the characterization the jury can determine whether you've met your burden of clear and convincing evidence. Then the jury can actually value some property if there's an argument between the parties as to the value. Again, we go back to husband says it's worth 500000 wife says it's worth $5 million. And all of that can get pretty complicated. I mean, complex property cases, when you're talking about that burden of proof, they have to trace maybe 20 years worth of information to show that something prior to the marriage has some elements still of separate. And that could be convoluted and confusing. Valuation issues, same way, right? It's not going to be something simple or there wouldn't be a dispute. <laughs> Absolutely. So the, the practical tip is keep records. Yes, yes. <laughs> and most people don't. And if it's 20 years, the banks have been bought and sold and you can't get them from the bank. So if you keep your records, that's the best path. Otherwise... Or get a prenup or a postnup. I was going to say the prenup or the postnup really works best. And people say, I don't want a premarital agreement because that means I'm thinking I'm going to get a divorce. And my response to that is no. You're just being proactive. Do you get your flu shot or do you get your penicillin when you get sick? I mean, you're being proactive. You don't wait for the absolute worst case scenario to say, oh gosh, I wish I would have done something differently. So prenups don't necessarily mean that you're going to get a divorce. It's like insurance. I didn't think my house was going to burn down because I got insurance right. covering my house. Absolutely. And it's not going to increase the chance of my house burning down. <laughs> now a prenup could maybe, <laughs> depending on the negotiation of that prenup and how that goes. But, um, 
it is something that's wise. When people have complex property, children from a prior relationship, it does make some sense to consider. It does. And I can tell you that from a jury perspective, jurors really get very, very tired of listening to people argue about money. You have to consider, as I said earlier, who's on a jury panel. A lot of times you're going to have folks who are being paid by the hour or by the day. And when they're trying to decide whether the property is worth 15 million or 20 million, they're not going to have a whole lot of patience. Yeah. Then there are going to be jurors who absolutely don't want to make decisions about other people's children. And I can certainly understand and appreciate that because they understand the significance of what the jury's decision is going to be. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, you want jurors who are going to be involved and who are going to be invested in the evidence and the outcome. But sometimes people just can't really can't really do that in a family law case because it is a sensitive issue. Mm -hmm. If it were Texaco and Exxon, one big business against another big business, who cares? But if we're talking about the three-year-old, five-year-old, seven-year-old, and we're talking about one parent wanting to move to Hawaii, you've got really sensitive issues that jurors just They'll do the best they can with, mm -hmm. but you've got a lot of people who just say, I can't make that choice. I can't That's make that interesting. decision. That's interesting. Well, and on the property side, because it can be complex, I mean, one of the jobs as a lawyer is we have to find a way to simplify it so that, one, the juror doesn't just tune out because the explanation has been so complicated and lengthy, <laughs> and, two, that they can follow what we're trying to say. So that's part of our job, right, is there's a little bit of art of taking something complicated and finding a way to communicate it but not lose the accuracy of it. Correct. That's where uh, presentations with graphs and very mm -hmm. simplified evidence help a great deal. Mm -hmm. You know, this is our timeline. Account established here. Artie's married here. Account now. There's been no no activity between the, the time of the date of marriage and the time of divorce. That's why the record keeping helps. Mm -hmm. And that's why keeping it easily digestible by the jury is very, very helpful. There, there can also be complicated legal issues surrounding property. I mean, even some of our judiciary, I have felt like over my career, I've had judges who are like, I'm not tracking with you, you know, like the, the proper, if it isn't in their background, juror or judge, if that wasn't their job, financial complex property, if that wasn't part of their life experience, then of course it's all new to them, right? Now the judge has an advantage that on the bench over time, they encounter more of this, <laughs> but it can be complicated <laughs> for anyone. True. And do you want to be that that first case, right? when you talk about being <laughs> over time, the judge has a more appreciation of it. Yes. We are very fortunate in Dallas County because we have specialized courts. Yes. We have specialized courts that hear nothing but family law matters. That is not the case throughout the state or certainly not throughout the United States. In many of our states, other than the 11 that allow for jury trials in the, in the issue of divorce, a lot of it is just administrative law. And it's an administrative judge. And they kind of check the box. When I was a judge and I would go to judicial conferences and we'd be talking about what a judge in 
Texas can do in a family law case, they were horrified <laughs> because they just didn't understand why they would be so fact-intensive and give so much discretion to the court. And I'm sure you all have discussed on your podcast before, the best interest of the child is certainly the, the guiding light when there are children involved, but just right, fair, and equitable is the guiding light when you're dividing property. If you have a judge making that decision, that judge is going to make the decision as to what's just and right, fair, and equitable in the division of the property and what's in the best interest of the child. That sometimes is what causes people to pay the jury fee of $40 and pick a jury of 12. Yes, yes. Custody cases are so fact-intensive. Yes. And that's what's hard. It's human beings. <laughs> And the facts change every day because the human beings are still out there. That's right. And then you get into all of the social sciences and, you know, people say it's best for a custody case to have people who are parents. And the other side of that argument, it's better for a jury if they don't have children. Because, you know, if you have children of your own, do you measure what's going on with this other couple based upon your own experience and your own practices as a parent? So choosing the right juror is significantly important. It's, it's right up there with paying the jury fee and selecting a jury. Yeah. So to get a jury, we have to put a request in, right? With At the least court. 30 days before trial. And we pay a $35 or something. It's gone up to 40. Oh, $40. <laughs> we pay $40. So it's not hard to get a jury procedurally, but if you don't do those things, you don't get your jury necessarily, Correct. You, right? You don't get to show up the day of trial and say, oh, by the way, I want a jury. <laughs> right. You've got to plan for that in advance. Because the other side needs to know how they're preparing to, right? Which way are we doing this? Correct. So that's, there are issues involved in jury trials, but we are, I believe, fortunate in Texas to have the latitude of having a jury. Mm -hmm. The other issue or the other opportunity for a jury would be in a termination of parental rights case. Oh, yes. Those are hard. Those are very hard. And when parental rights are terminated, that means that that parent is now a legal stranger to the child because all parental rights have been ended. That's serious. That's very serious. And there is a right to a jury, naturally, in a termination case. Then in a child support enforcement case for non-payment of child support, mm -hmm. if a party is requesting confinement or jail time for more than six months and a fine of more than $500, then the party who's being accused of not paying the child support has the right to request a jury. Oh, that's interesting. Because maybe a jury would be more sympathetic than a judge to why they didn't pay. And, and that's always the hope. <laughs> It depends on what side you're on, right? Right, right. <laughs> but I do think people are shocked when I tell them, look, your first dollar goes to child support. So I don't want to hear you can't afford it because your first dollar has to go to child support. Correct. And they're like, but what about my house payment and my car payment and my... I Texas is a debtor state. We're not mm -hmm. going to put you in jail for not making your mortgage payment. You may right. lose your house ultimately, but you're not going to jail over it. Whereas in a child support enforcement or contempt case, the judge can put you in jail. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, many years ago, someone said, well, what can a family court judge do that a civil court judge can't do? And mm -hmm. I said, oh, well, let me tell you, I can take your children. I can take your house. 
I can put you in jail. I can even take your dog. And it's important to have a good judge. It's important to have a good judge. It's important to have a good lawyer, too. Don't ever try to represent yourself in a family law case. There are just too many nuances that folks don't get. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. And many of our judges take the position that they're not there to help people who don't have lawyers. Well, they have limitations under the law. Absolutely. They cannot give them legal advice. The the personnel of the courthouse cannot give them legal advice. So they're in a in a tough spot, right? So you are expected, if you represent yourself, to know what you're doing, and and you don't. Right. <laughs> so. The, the self-represented litigant is held to the same standard as if he or she was an attorney. Yes, that's rough. That's rough. And I've had uh, one of the jury trials when I was a judge involved a very experienced, knowledgeable family law attorney who had been practicing family law for about 40 years and a self-represented litigant on the other side. Oh, dear. The jury was mm, not happy. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and talking about juries. And hopefully people have a little bit more understanding about how does this work <laughs> and when might we want a jury. It was really a pleasure having you here. Well, thank you. I so appreciate the opportunity to talk about family law. I can talk about family law all day long. <laughs> and Marilee, how would people find you if they wanted to find you? Well, naturally they could Google me, but they could also look at Duffy Eitzen, our website, my partner. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Now our tip for the day. Be aware that anything you put on social media might be shown to or read to a jury and you can't ever really delete it so be cautious about what you're posting post as if it's going to be read to the judge to the jury and also be aware that there isn't really a lot of privacy in family law so i had somebody the other day say well my journal that i wrote isn't that private not really so if you need to journal you know, it's a good exercise for mental health. Just destroy it, write it down and have that exercise and then burn it because somebody may find that journal later and now you're in a custody fight and they're gonna read that journal to the judge or the jury possibly. So just be aware that anything you write down, whether it's public or private, it could be used against you and you wanna take caution so that doesn't happen to you. Just take a picture of your food, of your dog, put those things on social media, your cute kids, but not, you know, the trashy stuff. Leave that out. That's the tip for the day. <laughs>